Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. Hey, Sam, do you know what clickbait is? Absolutely. I think people just fell for it. <laughs> but the title of this episode. Yes, they did. So, so going around, there have been a lot of, say, plug-in companies or whatnot that have been putting out software that is your quick and dirty to a, well, quick and dirty master. And <laughs> I kind of want to touch on those, and we're just kind of calling this mastering shortcuts because this is, I imagine, what these people are kind of going with. And then we're going to touch back on, like, what is mastering. And uh, I don't know, we don't know how we're going to wrap this one yet, so we'll figure it out. So you want to unpack it, Sam? You brought your baggage with you? Absolutely. I will unpack it. <clears throat> Always with unpack. the baggage. <laughs> Perfect. So, Matt, let's talk about Sam. mastering shortcuts. Let's talk about some of the things that have popped up over the last year or two <laughs> that has confused the mastering world and the music industry. So, I mean, this conversation really started really earlier today uh, when Sam, when you brought up the whole mastering brainworks or the brainworks mastering desk yes and just kind of how weird it is and i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it up here and it's just kind of like kind of interesting and it's like everyone who i'm trying to type and do this at the same it's like trying <laughs> to like it's trying to like play guitar and sing at the same time for me it's just <laughs> it's just a nightmare and you don't want those two married together so yeah so <clears throat> So I saw this a couple of months ago or a year ago whenever they, they brought it out. And I mean, whatever. Um, I mean, is it something for mastering engineers to necessarily worry about? Uh, undoubtedly, no. Yeah. And there's just like some controls on it that were just kind of weird. And like Sam and I were just sitting back just like, what do you, what do, you do with a foundation knob? What, right. what, is, what does foundation give you? And then everyone you see using it is just using, like, I don't know, every bit of DSing they can and right. then slamming the compressor. And, and using just, the turbo limiter function on it. Oh, there's turbo <laughs> limiter? There's like a, there's a little thing over it. I can't see what it's turbo. called. Oh, turbo sh- limit. There it is. There it is. Which is for, for EDM, it says in the manual. <laughs> oh. Oh my gosh. So it's like you, you you have plugins like this, and I'm certainly not going to leave out like the Lorison mastering console. Um, I mean, Isotope Ozone can get rolled into that. Uh, the Slate L, uh, FGX can get rolled into that. Uh, someone brought this up to me. The I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. The Golfos EQ, which I guess is an EQ that analyzes the source and then just EQs it per how its algorithm believes it should best be EQ'd. Yeah. And then now you have the best that that source could ever sound. Um, <laughs> and someone brought that up to me. He's like, hey, man, have you ever thought about using this? And I'm like, I don't know if I should be insulted <laughs> or what. So, yeah, that's... Uh, so th- th- those are the few to say, at least. The Larson Mastering Console, um, I've seen it and... I kind of don't know how a lot of it's legal because if you if you dive into it and they're kind of going off of their whole like massive 
12 million U panel that they have on their desk and whatever, good for them. Um, but if you dive into like what they're showing and you select a preset, it then shows you all of the staging and how they're going to do it. And I'm just going to say there's some stuff in there that really looks like the Maslick MPL2 that I have that is on their desk. Or it looks like the EQ that they have that is a branded EQ. Yeah. Or there's like a Manly Verimew. And it's like, these are proprietary pieces of software. It's like, I don't... And they're like, oh, want more glue. And there's like, you can clearly tell there is a shape of an SSL compressor there. <laughs> You're right. And it's just like... How is this legal? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I understand you're running, quote-unquote, through their desk or their system or whatever it is. Um, that one, I don't understand how they have the licensing to do what they do. Yeah. Or what they used to emulate said DSer. But, I mean, if they were to use random pieces of gear unlicensed to emulate it for their plugin. There's probably a lawsuit hidden in there somewhere. Right. Um, the Brainworks Master Desk, which I just touched on, I mean, it was kind of funny. There's a YouTube video on it. And it's like everyone who's saying they want quick and dirty masters, it was just a bunch of British millennials who just like wanted something to like give to their clients. And it's like, why would you ever hire a mastering engineer? And, I mean, that's kind of why we're going to get into that down the line a little bit. Um but I found that kind of funny. And then I think the the top comment on a YouTube video was this was uh, like UAD was I guess who's who's sponsoring all of this. They've said that I uh, kind of can't believe that UAD is doing this, seeing as how or sponsoring it, seeing as how like everything they do is really not a hack, mm-hmm. and this is like a genuine hack. Um, then you have Ozone, which was kind of I want to say in. Uh, in the spotlight a couple years ago for being like the one stop shop for mastering engineers yeah. and or like like obviously not like people who are doing it professionally but people who are just you know shooting from the hip and like yeah I just ran a preset no zone yep. so you had that and then I believe even before that was the FGX by Slate and it's like there are some things in it that are pretty cool I mean the compressor in it can be pretty handy and you can really dial in and hone the parameters and I mean if there's only one thing I ever use it for there's a dynamic perception knob that it's like if you ever needed to get something just to cut through just a little bit more it's like that knob is kind of gold but besides that I'm not really a big fan of uh of that plugin and definitely not a plan event or definitely not a fan of any subscription plan um so it's like this is kind of like what do you think about these mastering shortcuts, as we will call them, as opposed to, you know, using your ears? Right. And if something doesn't sound right, use an EQ. Yeah. Or if something, do- which is kind of funny that the Brainworks Master Desk, it just has like like a Marantz EQ at the bottom type right. thing. It's just like bass, mid, treble, presence. Right. And it's just like, huh. So you don't like. You don't know. real massive, <laughs> like you don't really know where that like curve is. You just right. know it's looks like your car, right? So, <laughs> and your Wrangler, yeah. So your Wrangler, 
Whatever. Well, it's funny because you have a lot more control over their compression yeah. than you do over the EQ. And so it's like, I don't know. I, I mean, like with compression, there's a little bit more of a dopamine hit, I guess, you right. get if you're trying to dial something in, but whatever. So what I wanted to build all of this up to is I really think that we need to talk about, like, once again, what is mastering? Yeah, absolutely. And are these actually, like, shortcuts? Are they things that should be used? Are they things that are of benefit, of value? Yeah. So that's kind of where I want to tee this up, Sam. Yeah, I think I'll do a little monologue here because that's the I'll just sit back and what I my do tea. for 2019 is monologues. They're so trendy right now. Uh, I want to Working say a few things here. First, with all these plugins we're talking about that are like kind of set it and forget it preset type things. I know Matt and I would probably agree on that. Everything, every plugin and piece of gear should be approached as just a piece, like a tool that can solve a problem. And I think all these plugins to me are trying to, they can be used in mastering, but they are only effective if you have the wisdom or the foundational wisdom behind mastering, which I think we'll get into of talking about what is mastering, what's the point of it, and maybe a little bit of like how you even do it. But my main issue with all these plugins is that it is essentially marketing to the 20 to 35-year-old person who is so impatient and doesn't want to learn anything and they don't want to wait for anything. Um, They just want the solution right now because that's kind of how we've been raised. And in reality, there are lots of things right now in 2019 that allow us to do things instantly and it is freaking amazing. And this is not, to me, this is not an episode that's anti-tech or anti-advancing things and I feel like, Matt, you, you'd you say the same thing of like, we're not poo-pooing technology, we're not poo-pooing plugins, we're not even really poo-pooing these specific plugins. It's more so that you really can't even take advantage of these plugins still, at least this is my opinion, until you actually know how to master still. So like Mm. I've used the Isotope Ozone, I've used Brainworks, I've used Slate, I haven't done the, how do you say it, Lurison? How do you say that? Lurison? I'm sure I was Mastering console? I have no idea how to say it. I've never used it, so I can't speak into that. I'm very aware of what it is. I've watched the YouTube video from the guys uh, who made it. The guys. The guys. Um, but this really, this episode kind of came from I was using, checking out the Brainworks Mastering Desk or Master Desk plugin because I was just curious to see what it was doing because they present it as a uh, one stop shop, mastering made easy. Uh, the manual itself ends with now your drummer can master your tracks if you want them to. Basically, um, I mean that's what it says verbatim. Yeah, that's what it says with in the a manual. smiley face next right. to it. And the manual's kind of tone from the beginning in the first few paragraphs is all about like basically mastering has become this dark art and like no one, 
you know, master engineers basically don't want you to know how easy it is to actually master your music. And um, I find that all just not so much offensive, but just it's a, a real big red flag to people not understanding the point of mastering and how mastering mm-hmm. has um, it's evolved into something very different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago from, you know, basically we've talked about it before, like actual electrician, engineers, mechanics, uh, people who actually understood like how to build things and construct things and how electricity works and how that works into cutting vinyl and tape and everything to where like now if someone like me, I have a very basic understanding of electrical and engineering. Like that's not necessarily required to master, even though I found it actually to be helpful because it gives some deeper understanding to how things work, which can help me troubleshoot things better. But I think for me, all these plugins and all these like videos I've seen on, you know, five tips to mastering in 10 minutes or whatever you can find on the internet or ozone having all these presets and and I have plenty of people over the last few years who have sent me things of like, hey, have you used Ozone? And it's like, no. Or <laughs> the answer is yes, but I don't use that. You know, or they'll send me a, you know, people call it like a heated mix, which is just like a slammed reference. And I still don't I a don't heated mix. I don't understand why people do that because any preset you're going to use in Ozone or any of these like one-size-fit-all at the last minute is drastically changing your mix. And so you're setting like kind of me up to fail in that the mix I want, which is the one without the preset you just put on the last five seconds, um, sounds totally different than the mix that you're sending to your artist to approve. So it's it's for on the master engineer. It's like this fine balance of like I kind of just want to work off your slammed preset because that's what everybody's expecting, um, mm. and I'll see if I can make that better. But really, at it's the, tempting. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> it's tempting every time. Yeah, and I actually i I can't remember the last time I actually used it, and every time I go back to the non limited one, I'm able to make it a lot better which is part of why you hire a proper master engineer because I can do what you wish you could do, mainly because I have the education and the tools to do it with um, to where you don't have to hope a preset can master your track for you. But Mm -hmm. I think, to me, this conversation is all about people are trying to make mastering seem like it's basically an overrated step there's no real point in it other than trying to make your stuff loud. And it's just really misunderstood at this point. And all these plugins represent that, um, that basically that under bass tone vibration of we don't know what mastering is, so let's start throwing out a bunch of new mastering plugins and let's start throwing out a bunch of new language to confuse everybody even more. And if we can all, as multiple companies basically become the loudest voice in the room and say, this is what mastering is. And it's actually really simple. And all you need is to like hit this, make your meter, go to this number in the plugin, and then you've mastered your song. If enough people do that, then people start believing it, you know? And that's just how humans work. If you say something long enough, people start to believe it. And that's how we work as humans. If if you tell yourself you suck every day, 
I promise you within a year you're going to be in depression. Like you will. <laughs> but if you tell yourself you're you're you know, a good person and you have value and there's things you do that no one else can do, by the end of that year of saying that to yourself, you're going to probably have the best year of your life. And I just think within this conversation it's like there is no shortcut at any stage of the music creation process. Like there may be things that allow us to to have better workflow, but there is no shortcut for having the actual knowledge and experience that's required to put out a professional end product. And I will stand by that, and I stand by it even more and more the longer I'm in this industry. Because at this point, 10 years in, I don't even know how many songs I've heard and mastered. It's tens of, it's probably, I don't know. I master like 1,000, 2,000 songs a year. So it's like 10,000 some songs. I don't know. It's a lot. And at this point, I really have a good understanding already of what a mix sounds like and what a master sounds like. And I can Mm -hmm. promise you, you will not get the master you want by throwing in a preset from one of these plugins. Like, you just won't. And you could say, like, oh, yeah, I can because I did it and I put the song out. And it's like, that's true, but you're really limiting the potential of what your song could be. And I think that, for me, gets us into, like, the main conversation here of, and Matt, I'll have you lead this, is, like, what is mastering and what is the point of it? Because all these plugins have basically said mastering is a overcomplicated, overrated process that should be free, and heck, it should just be AI. You don't even have to have a human do it. (laughs) Like That's where we're at it in the industry, and I just feel like it's selling everybody short in the music they're trying to make. So Matt... What do you think mastering is in your experience? It was funny in our notes <laughs> that I wrote for this. is like, is it QC, like quality control? Is mm-hmm. it loudness? Something else? Making fucking bangers? What is it? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, to me, mastering is quality control. Yeah. Um, kind of stepping on, not stepping on, but whatever. Kind of going off of something you said that... I feel like if you put any type of shortcut into a very um, human-invested process where there is an incredibly high amount of the human element to include error, yeah. whenever you take a shortcut and you allow something else to take out from what humans have created, you lose a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. And... Say like you throw something through Lander, it's like you. What it claims is you might have, you might have through it being around for five, six, however many years, and it says, "Oh, it's con-, excuse me, keep burping." <laughs> it's constant. It says it's constantly learning, mm-hmm. and it's like that's cool. And I'm sure to some degree there is some artificial intelligence or. Whatever, or who knows? It could just be a big lie. Um, <laughs> that's like somewhat, like somewhat behind, behind that. Oh, so me talking now. Um, but it's like I feel like, to a degree, if you want to believe that mastering is quality control, and if you want to believe that it is, hiring a completely 
like independent set of ears that has never heard your music before and if you've spent all of this money creating an album it's like why are you going to leave it up to some subscription service to take care of what you believe mastering is mm-hmm. um, and then there's a saying in this industry that you can only hear a song for the first time once Yep, and some people I know call themselves the masters of first impressions which I, I find rather cunning and not cheesy <laughs> um, but I mean that's true to a degree because you can only hear that first song once and I listened to that I always mess up her last name it's like Billie Eilish or Ellish or yeah. whatever her name is uh, I listened to her album when it came out I think it was last Friday mm-hmm. and I was like wow this is a really loud album <laughs> but the way they do the vocal is like super in your face and really intimate and if they have like a little side effect that goes from left to right or someone's like stepping on a piece of glass over in the corner, at least that's what they want you to think. <laughs> and it's just like, it's really cool. It's like a really engaging album. And I enjoyed it. I pulled out a meter and just to see how many times that album hit zero, zero <laughs> RMS. And I was, I was pleasantly, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how often it did that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you can only hear a song, an album, whatever. You can only hear it once. Yep. And I don't want to leave that first impression up to a mastering shortcut software. Right. I don't want to leave that up to, well, this is the general preset for Americana that you decide via the Lorison mastering console that needs more glue. Mm-hmm. That's not really how you should finish a project. And I get it. Whenever you come to mastering, everybody is out of time and everyone's out of money and it's all <laughs> and it's always going to be your fault on why the project's late. Right. Because <laughs> you're the last you're the last guy who has it. You're holding it up now. So is it about loudness? You know what? To a degree it is. I mean, I believe that loudness to a degree is really just a part of the process and a part of the gain staging. And it makes it easier knowing (laughs) that people like it loud Mm -hmm. because you don't really feel bad making it loud. Right. Or pushing gear in certain ways or doing something in another way. But there's plenty of stuff that... I've put out that ha- that hasn't been slammed, and I think, um, wh- what's the guy's name on YouTube? I think you think he goes by Streaky. He said that he bounces everything at minus nine or minus eight RMS, and I was like, that's not really that loud considering what a lot of people consider loud and what mm-hmm. a lot of loud music's coming out at. Um, and he works on EDM stuff, so I don't I don't really know if he misspoke in terms of like how he uses his metering or whatnot. But um, I mean, a lot of stuff that you're seeing coming out, if you just monitor, if you take all normalization off any streaming platform and you monitor it, you're going to see that sucker hitting minus five in the verse. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's like a down verse. Yeah. And so it's like, you're going to, you're going to see that sucker hit minus three. And it's so funny because people are like, well, there's a loudness war going on. It's like, well, it's technically not a war because you can't, since you're in a digital realm, you can only go so loud. Right. And that's zero, zero. 
And after zero zero, at least coming back in from the analog, you're just butchering whatever you had past that. Right. So, I mean, I don't care how clean your converter is, you're going to be losing something coming back in. Um, so, I mean, you can only make it so loud. So, if the album is breathing at minus five, if the album is breathing at minus three and you have a pop client that's breathing down the back of your neck and it doesn't necessarily sound bad, sure, go for it. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Typically, I'll keep around like minus seven to minus five. I don't like going above minus five because I don't really think that a lot good, a lot of good comes from that unless it's just a really insane mix and they just want it stupid loud. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, and you'll, and you'll know... I mean, you do this long enough, and you'll eventually learn like what can be pushed, and right. it's like this just has too much low end to that. Like That's anything that is anything that is useful, like isn't really going to even like if you were just to cut out the low end. I mean, <laughs> it's like your vocal and everything else is like sitting minus fifteen. <laughs> the low end is taking it to zero zero or something, but it's like what is mastering to me? It's it's quality control. It's having an independent set of ears listen to what you have labored over and say, oh, well, let's uh, let's do this or this, or let's do nothing. Yeah. Sometimes mastering can literally be, yo, man, thumbs up. I've never had that happen, <laughs> but I've been pretty close, and there have been some times where I've just made an EQ adjustment, and you, you bring it up to whatever level they would like it to call it compete or replay at, whatever you want to call it, and send it on its way. Yeah. Um, so that's that, that's really where I land on it. Did I miss anything, Sam? No, nah, it's pretty good. I think... I really rambled for a good while. It's great. So. I feel like the quality control thing is continually becoming the biggest factor in why you should hire a master engineer. And it's that well, especially argument Especially where of, a lot of people are recording, too. Yeah. I mean, the very fact that like I hear thousands of mixes a year means I know what mixes sound like from all sorts of people, indie people to major label, new mixers to high-end mixers to the top guys. I work with all of them for the most part. And as I start to work with even bigger mixers, like some of them are great, some of them are not so great. And there's a quality control that everybody I work with comes to me and hopes I can solve all their last-minute issues, which is fine. That's my job. Um, And I'm basically, they come to me because I have the most experience, you know, of of not anyone, obviously. Like someone who's been mastering 20 or 30 years has way more experience than me. But I think there's a point where you get to where I've kind of feel like at this point I've heard everything quote unquote every situation of like oh the bass is too loud, the bass is too quiet the drums are too loud, the drums are too quiet, the vocal's too hot, the vocal's too quiet, something's distorting I have to repair it, like all these situations I finally feel like I've I've kind of hit to where like I can't remember the last time I got a song where I was like I don't know what to do Um, and if there's ever been that situation where it's like, I don't know what to do, it's because something is so drastically wrong that I mm-hmm. send it back to the mixer to fix. Or the mixer is like, oh my gosh, it misprinted with like 
a flanger on the master bus or the mix bus <laughs> or something. So or like something was muted. Yeah, it's something. I mean, that's a really common one. Yeah, muted or like they flipped off a plug-in or flipped on a plug-in. <laughs> Only the room mics are on. Yes. Things like that legitimately happen all the time where people will bump something and I get it because I've bumped stuff or I'll bump a knob on my hardware and now I'm like, what the heck happened? Um, That just happens. It's normal, human error, it's fine. But I think the big thing is that for mastering engineers who do this full time, you immediately, even for someone like you, Matt, like a few years in, or a couple years in, I don't know what you want to tell people, but you have heard so many more mixes than most mixers. You've heard way more mixes than a producer, most producers, way more mixes than a band will even make in their whole lifetime of their career. And there is a lot of wisdom and expertise that comes from hearing mixes day in and day out and learning, oh, in order to get this mix to this master, to order... In order to hit, you know, the client's end goal and vision, I need to do this, this, and this to get it there. Most mixers, most producers, and definitely bands do not have a clue on how to get their product ready for release and make sure it's going to translate. And that is, once again, fine and normal. They don't need to know. Mastering is a part of the creation process still in the music industry. It's still very much alive. Personally, I think it's growing um, strictly because I've seen my business grow. I've seen your business grow, Matt. I have other master engineers I've helped that are growing. And with a re-education and understanding of what mastering is and the pros and cons of it, which are mainly pros only, um, of using a proper engineer, I think it's starting to really shine light onto all these shortcuts and automated mastering of why they actually are not mastering. And I think that mastering is so much about that first listen to where if I talk to anybody, any songwriter, it's like the first time they wrote that course that was a hit. It only they only had that moment one time. Like almost every big songwriter who knows the song's a hit, most of them know it's a hit, then it does mm-hmm. go number 1, especially in country the country writers I know who have done well. It's like they can recall, like, I was holding my crema coffee in my bedroom and I was writing it with a Pilot G2 pen and it came out and all of a sudden I knew this was a hit song for so-and-so. And it's like, after that, all the moments sucked. <laughs> or not sucked, it was just not as special as that first time. And that's how, like, the mixers I know I talk to, it's like they get frustrated with their mixes after, you know, the second hour or they're working on it or the third day or fifth day whatever however fast they work like there's there's always a honeymoon stage in each process where you get that fresh look and you get that fresh like ear on it where you're making all these moves based on gut and emotion which is the end goal to me like at this point sonics to me are very important but if it's not emotional and it doesn't move you it's a waste like it's a waste of time like i would rather mm-hmm. you hate the master or hate the mix or love it than be like, eh, that's, that just sounds good. Like sounding good to me has become so boring of like, good doesn't really stand out anymore. And I don't know if it ever did. Like good is like forgettable. Um, but the big records to me and like mixers and master engineers that have like huge careers, 
you can very quickly hear like what they're doing. And like half the guys I listen to, I'm like, I hate this. Like I hate the way this sounds. And that's yeah. fine. It's like an understanding and it's not a dig on any of them of like who's better, who's worse. It's just different. And I think that to me is part of the mastering, like why you should hire a mastering engineer. And it's like I've said in other episodes of like, if you shoot out mastering engineers, it's probably because you haven't done your homework and you don't know what you're looking for and you don't understand what mastering does. And part of that... That one always blows my mind when yeah, people shoot out mastering engineers. That to me is just like, you don't understand this and I don't want to say it's your fault, but it's a little bit your fault. It's also the industry's fault. And like, I'm just happy that you're even considering a mastering engineer at this point. <laughs> so like... Yeah. That's a win because now I can educate you and help you and hopefully the other guys you're shooting me out against, you know, who I never know who it is until the end, usually like hopefully they're helping you and you understand this better and like we can all do a better job at representing mastery and what it is and isn't. But I really think the quality control thing and the ability that we have to hear a song fresh is priceless. Like I know I hear things and fix things and correct things and enhance things that the band and the mixer and everybody usually applauds and is like, oh my gosh, you made that sound so good. I don't know how you did it. And part of it is like, well, that was the first thing that stood out to me. Like it's just mm-hmm. that was just not correct. Yeah. And you know, to them, they've been listening to the song for a month straight, being like, ah, something's just not quite why quite right, but mastering will probably take care of that, which is true. Like, let me do something for you if you want me to. Um, I'm not going to fix your whole mix, but I, there are things we can do at the mastering stage that really can enhance the mix or take care of some issues that mixing can't um, based on the tools we have. But I think that to me is the resounding thing is like the quality control, the first listen, and me being able to like pull in my, my mental bank of 10,000 songs of like, wow, I hear a rock song and now I have a thousand other rock songs to compare to in my mental tool belt of like, I know what to do to this song immediately almost. Five years ago, it wasn't that way. Eight years ago, it wasn't that way. But now 10 years in, I have that. And it's like, I don't know. There's just, there's something about, I mean, I think what it comes down to is like, when you hire an expert to do something, you usually get an awesome product. And that's in any industry, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to mastering in the music industry, the industry has really butchered what it is um, because of the loudness wars, which to me is, even the loudness wars is a misunderstanding, like you're talking about, Matt. Like, zero, zero is the max. Like, you don't... Yeah, that's why it's so funny that they say there's a war. It. Like, <laughs> it's like, war doesn't have that. right. We don't have a loudness war. We have people that like compressed music and more dynamic music. There's no war. The war was created by old guys who were scared of more compressed music. That's it. That's all that happened. It was someone who said, oh, I don't like that it's that slammed or that I can hear some clipping or distortion. That's literally like the Metallica album that set off the universe that Andrew Sheps mixed. And like, it's, I don't know, negative like four at some parts and it's clipping the whole time. But I just listened to an interview where he 
brought that up, and he's like, yeah, I ruined Blaze Me for starting the Loudness War mm-hmm. with that Metallica album. And he's like, I like it a lot. So right. <laughs> whatever. And I, I watched an interview with Andrew, and I actually, like, I got to work with him at Mixed with the Masters in person. I don't know whether that was five years ago. And, like, he, it was, the, it was what they wanted. Like, it's an aggressive clipping album. And, yeah. like, it's Metallica. It's not an orchestra. So, like, what? I don't, like, I I think for a long time I was like, yeah, this album just, like, slammed to hell. And, like, it's clipping and there's distortion everywhere. And it's like, I listened to it literally today. And I was like, this thing is kind of awesome. Like, it is, like, aggressive as could be. It is really weird. It's, like, slammed. And, like, the clipping is, like, makes it more aggressive to me now. And I'm kind of like, this is kind of brilliant. Like, this is an artistic choice to, like, do that. Like, any professional, like, Andrew Sheps knows what he's doing. You can listen to other work where it's not clipping. Like, he has plenty of mixes that are clean. And everybody wants to blame the mastering guy for that album. But Andrew is very clear that he mixes super loud and that when he wants to distort and clip, he says he does that on purpose. So Mm -hmm. I've got to imagine that that whole album was heavily clipped and distorted from the, from his mix stage and that was mm-hmm. a choice they wanted to do. And I think that to me the loudness war like it's just gotten a little bit out of control of people it's just personal preference and there were a lot of loud voices a few years ago that really were shaming everyone who was making quote unquote loud music and saying it was bad or wrong and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just no, not it's at just all. different. And that's fine. And ten years from now, we'll have something else. Like maybe everybody will put flangers on everything. It's just styles of music. Like it's like in the '80s, everything was like wet and reverbed. And like we look at that now, we're like, oh, that was so cool. But at the time, everyone was like, why the hell are you put reverb on everything? Like it's so bright. Yeah, the gated reverb. Yeah, I think. it's like yeah, that's what everyone did. That was like poo pooed and then praised. And now we look at it like, oh, that's iconic. I love '80s music, you know. And it's like. That's how it's going to be for us, I feel like, 10 years Did from now. Did you ever hear how that got started? No. I can't remember the artist. I always start off by saying I can't remember something. <laughs> but I guess there was a gate on a talkback mic that was in a live room. Yeah. And I guess someone just had the talkback mic live, and they heard that sound on it. And yeah. they ran reverb through it, and they're like, Huh. <laughs> We're gonna use this. It's amazing. Okay, remember there's there's a there's a whole there's a whole thing on it about how that got started. Yeah, but yeah, yeah every everything has a sound, and I mean it's just a bunch of people getting butt hurt because they don't like the style of music that's being put out. Right, and so they made a day about it, and they made uh, a lot of people make weird life choices about it, and we have two whole episodes about it, and we don't right. have to talk any further exactly. about why. That is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> if you like your music loud, play it loud. If you don't, then don't play it loud. Exactly. If you want to make a fucking banger, make a fucking banger. <laughs> exactly. That should be on a mug. That should be on a mug. That'll <laughs> be on our mug for sure. Yeah. One day. So that's maybe this upcoming Christmas. Yeah. We'll I'll get, get it, my life together. We'll get it together. Don't you worry, audience. We'll, we'll have get merch. it together. We're gonna be here for a long time. So this is you just, just you just buckle up. For our audience, they can just start saving. So there's no excuse. When we release a mug for however much money we're there's gonna no sell excuse. for, you better have your ten dollars ready for the mug. 
So. There's no excuse. Um, so yeah, that's that to me honestly is my whole monologue on on mastering, on why you should use someone, the point of it. We touched on the loudness. And I feel like the only other thing I want to talk on for this episode is just a little bit of the idea of like having patience and that there's really no shortcuts in the industry. So do it, man. You want me to go again? I mean, I you're pretty much on a really solid roll. Oh, well, I'm on a roll. Here we go. I got date night tonight, so Monologue. I gotta get it in. Number three, monologue number three, and then date night, and then it's date not night. you and me. So you <laughs> me and my wife. Okay, patience. We need to talk about patience. Um, patience is the key to success. So this whole episode surrounding the idea of no shortcuts. Uh, obviously, we touched on like plugins that are basically shortcuts, trying to cut out the work and the wisdom of what you need to learn to actually know how to use the plugins. Um, but something I have observed in myself over the last years uh, is that patience is the number one ingredient to success. And I feel like the biggest lie we have been told uh, the last few years and within the music industry and with the way people market plugins, such as mastering plugins or any plugin is that we're basically you're missing out on something. Hmm. And I have written about it in the blog before, we've talked about it in the podcast, but I think it's like one of the most crucial mantras for like our millennial age group or in life is that you're actually not missing out on anything. Um, you just haven't been patient enough to like do the work, learn the lesson, and build that foundational wisdom to sustain you. Mm. And I really like, um, we've talked about Gary Vaynerchuk before, and I feel like he's really come around. You know, it's been interesting as we've done this podcast, I feel like Matt and I have a love-hate with him. <laughs> of Like, we love him and then we hate him. And not him as a person, but just what he's kind of We should preaching. have him on as a guest. Oh, I would love that. He does stuff in music, man. We I should know. have him on as a guest. I absolutely adore Gary Vee, and if he ever listens to this, I think he's the man. And uh, <clears throat> something he was talking about the last couple days and really like the start of the year, there was, I feel like, a shift of him really trying to get people to understand, like, you're not missing anything. You're just really early in your career. Mm-hmm. And I think that idea to me needs to be like just put in front of everybody who's 20 to 40, especially in the music industry, is that you're not missing anything. You're just starting your career. And we've talked about it before, and I I can see it when 10 years ago when I had a MacBook, and the first time I made a song I really liked, say a few, I don't know, like year one, I, ma- I remember making mm. beats and being like, oh, this beat is awesome. Like if I could get Kanye West on this, like I'd be famous, I'd be awesome. And I just remember immediately that almost that seed of entitlement being planted because I felt like I had done the work that was required to then get Kanye West on a beat of like, this is a beat Kanye could use and it actually sounds like a Kanye beat and it sonically sounds pretty good and this is pretty awesome and I'm pretty awesome. And you start to like, I don't know, you create this narrative in your head of where you should be further ahead than where you are 
And because Kanye West doesn't care who I am, like in my, he doesn't know about my beat. That now I'm missing out on something, and I must not be as good as I think I am. And there's all these like weird narratives that you start to create and fabricate in your life, and then you compound that with social media uh, to where it's basically everybody's highlight reel, of course, of all their wins for the most part. And that's starting to shift too, where people are starting to finally be like, "Hey, this isn't quite real life." Like. I actually have some bad days, and sometimes I have slow months, and that's okay. And everybody's like, "Ah, oh, finally, yes, me too." Like you, you. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I suck at life too. <laughs> okay, Thank great. You. We all suck at life, and it's like, I don't know. The last few years, it's just it's kind of come to this. I don't know this. I feel like we're in a very interesting time of where, like, especially with mental health, like we've really started to understand that um, social media has created. Uh, an atmosphere of depression and anxiety and fear of missing out. And um, I think that is just rippling out into the music industry, all industries, but I see it so much in the music industry where people feel like they are missing out on something so they will buy the plug-in that says, now your drummer can do mastering because they think, well... (laughs) They hand it to their drummer. Yeah, exactly. It's like... (laughs) Bro, they made this for you. Bro, it's now your now it's the drummer's job to master our album too and run loops and program and produce. Enjoy. Like yeah. don't be a drummer anymore. It was already the worst thing to be in because you had to have all the drums and you have to carry all that stuff. It's way worse than just being like a guitar player. So anyway, side tangent. Drummers, you're champions. I don't know how you do it, but you should Seriously. get a raise. All drummers should get raises right now. Um make drummers great again. Exactly. Pay drummers great again. <laughs> That's what I want to say. <laughs> I'm serious. Side tangent of like, a couple of my friends are really big drummers with huge country artists and they set up their drums still, they program everything, they basically run the whole show from their laptop in Ableton. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're doing the job of a music director, you're programming, yep. it's your job to like figure out the loops, and you're pretty much getting paid just as much as everybody else on stage. So that needs to change. Nashville, if you're listening, pay your drummers more. Make drummers great again. Yeah, exactly. Love it. But that's what I want to really say at the end of this episode is like, you need to have patience. And patience, like, patience is basically persistence and like being and showing up every day, doing your work, knowing you're not missing out, and knowing that you have lots of time to get better, to get better clients, to work with better clients to even educate your current clients, which makes them better clients. That should be a whole episode. Um, But this idea of patience is so crucial. Uh, And the sooner I started embracing this idea of that there's really no shortcuts, and actually, to me, the only shortcut that I have found in business is patience, which is like, it doesn't make sense, but as soon as I did a few years ago, embrace like really putting in the work, really figuring out like how do I become a great master engineer? It's way more than technical knowledge. It involves dealing with people, dealing with labels, managing people, making processes simpler, having people understand what I do better. And all of that took lots of patience and lots of work and not getting frustrated with people. And as soon as I started to have a a mindset of acceptance around that, I found my business growing like crazy. Referrals mm. started happening more. Like 
everything I was trying to force and fast track, like it just kind of happened naturally from the idea of patience. And that patience allowed me to do the work of self-awareness, which like self-awareness, if you don't know anything about self-awareness, just go read some books from experts. Like don't listen to me really ramble about it. But as soon as I started really looking at myself and being aware of myself, hence the name, and seeing what am I good at, what am I not great at yet, what do I like doing, what do I hate doing, what do I hate doing that I'm really just lazy about, which is a lot of things, Um, what do I feel entitled to, when I really kind of, I'm a big writer journaler, I started writing all that stuff out, and that's a discipline I created over the last few years, not naturally that way. But when I started doing that and having the self-awareness um, that patience allowed me to have, I'm telling you, like everything in my life got better. Relationships, marriage, work, friends, everything got better. And I've found that to be like the shortcut in life, which is kind of the whole paradox or irony of life is always like, you know, the the answer to the, the shortcut is being patient, you know, being admitting that you're weak is actually very strong. All of those things that have been told to us from, you know, all the, the great leaders and spiritual leaders and mystics and gurus. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize this is all very true. <laughs> and I just want everyone who's listening to hear like, each part of the music creation process takes time and that's fine. And really what you need to apply is patience, not like a new preset. You don't need the next mastering plugin. You don't need the next, um, whatever plugin that comes out next week that everybody's like, Oh my gosh, this is like the key to everything. And it's finally solved my issue. And for some people, it's probably true. Like maybe this was the tool that helped them get to where they needed to go. But for most people, it's just a, it's a distraction from doing the work that you need to do, which is like learning, learning what your actual flaws are to begin with, then learning how to, how to improve upon them and surround yourself with people that can help you do that and navigate it. So that was the last thing I wanted to mention that the only shortcut in the industry and in life is actually being patient, doing the work, being persistent, being self-aware, and just practicing gratitude and not feeling entitled to the answer or a career instantly. So that's all I have, Matt. What do you got? Thoughts, questions, concerns? Go. Cries of outrage. Cries of outrage. <clears throat> no, man, I loved it, and... It's it. That's literally it. Is just being patient and putting in the work. I mean, I've been. <clears throat> I think when I when I got really serious about doing this was right around like 2014. So I mean, I've been doing this for call it like four or five years. Yeah. Um. So it's like not crazy, but I mean, seeing the progression. I mean, and in this current room. When I started doing stuff in Charleston, I think it was about two, two and a half years ago. Before that, I was like bouncing around different places and it was like, it was pretty difficult. Um, So I would say like two and a half years of like 
solid, like, in a scene and, like, really, like, buckling down and, like, getting, like, really solid principles and what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. And it's like, okay, we're going to invest in this music scene and this is how we are going to do it with X, Y, and Z. And it's like literally just putting a plan in place and going after it. It worked. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and all I have to do is be patient and reach out to people and be a part of a community and offer value right. that does not currently exist in that community. And I did that. And so kind of reaping that reward with a shit ton of work. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't listen to, I don't, I don't get thousands of songs like you do. I'm, I'm probably right around like, say like 500 <clears throat> a year. But I mean, I'm planning this year, at least financially, it's looking like it will, this isn't bragging, just in general growth of like telling you this patience thing works. It's right, like keen to about double this year. So, it's the patience thing works and the putting a plan in place does work and the being a genuine person does work yeah and caring for people and like literally being resourceful and solving a problem for people it does work and if you do all those things then the you don't have to worry about people relying on random plug and mastering consoles or right running something through an instance of Ozone or the Slate FGX. You can literally just do the work yourself and you can turn out incredible stuff. There was, uh, I think like a past project, they would send me a, they always call it like pre-masters or what did you call them? You, you called them like... Heated mix. Mas- heated? Yeah, 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 a heated mix. I like that. Um, and I mean, it sounds good, and it kind of I mean, allows me to understand the level they want things at. And while it is tempting to be like, well, man, I could just take this up a DB and turn it back in. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to do that. It's like, I'm going to do honest work with it because I know what I'm going to do is going to improve it. And it's like literally in the person's voice, it was like, it was a male and it was like a pretty aggressive song. It was kind of like a, it was like a country song, but it was kind of rocky. It's like, you could almost like hear the growl in his voice by like and like in the breaths that he was taking mm-hmm. and like by the time I was done with it and I was like this is kind of intense and I was like able to bring out like those little moments through using like little fun tools and I mean I don't know why everyone in mastering is secretive I think this podcast is to make it so it's not secretive mm-hmm. but I mean I don't think it has to be dumbed down so a kindergartner understands it I mean people are getting into mastering every single day and doing it, so I don't think there's a need to have all these random plugins and whatnot when people can just do the work themselves. It's like, listen to it, be like, no, I like the EQ here, and I want to clean up this, and I want to boost this. And the transients are a touch harsh, so we're going to put a little bit of compression on here, and we might do something else uh, to bring it up to level. So I don't know. I'm happy with what's going on. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are. And, I mean, you're obviously having tons of return clients. and Yeah, so, it's been great. Yeah, man, I'm happy with everything. And like this episode, I'm happy with this episode. It's a great episode. So Let's wrap. Should you use shortcuts in mastering? I don't know. Use your, <laughs> use your best guess. But listen to this episode. Um, you, so you got anything else, Sam? 
That's it, man. I'm done. Cool. You ready for date night? Absolutely. Pumped. <laughs> All right. We'll get you on your way. Thank you. All right. So if you like what we said, give us some likes wherever you're listening. If you didn't, then don't. I guess just email, <laughs> email us and tell us we suck or like have a conversation with us. I mean, that's one of the most interesting times is when we have people who say, hey, I don't agree with you and this is why. And that's cool. And Sam and I, we share these conversations with each other and we just talk. It, it spurs conversation. It spurs new episodes. So, um, yeah, if you like what you're doing, give us some likes and comments. And, yeah, thank you so much for following us. If you think we should make a mug that says make fucking bangers, <laughs> let us know. Absolutely. That'd be a good one. That'll let us know you got to this part of the episode. <laughs> right. But anyway, whatever you're having, morning, afternoon, evening, have a darn good one. So, Sam, you ready to that music? Cueing. Cue the music, Sam. Cueing it. See y'all. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you.